understanding the doctrine of Christ and strengthening our testimony is a labor that will bring real joy and satisfaction. We need to consistently study the words of Christ as found in the scriptures and the words of living prophets. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Studying is then another essential key to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. This is the process that the Lord has established. To feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. We savor the scriptures by studying them in a spirit of delightful discovery and faithful obedience. When we feast upon the words of Christ, they are embedded in the fleshy tables of the heart. To start this, I have a thought, and I wanted to start with it, because Psalms is kind of interesting. So it's a bunch of hymns, poems. Oh, dude, we want to go to Job. Maybe go Job first. We can, we can backtrack to Job. The the scripture that came to my mind was in Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. And it's a season for everything scripture. And it starts to everything. There's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Um, and then it keeps going through more examples of that. Time to, you know, hate, the time to love, a time to war, a time to peace. And I really like this scripture, and it's been stuck in my mind forever. And I try to look at gospel purposes and answers through these, through through this scriptures. Because I think in the Psalms, we can look at what is their purpose, or in Job, or in all these Old Testament stories, why were they preserved for us if we don't know all the details? Sometimes we don't know who the author, original author was. Sometimes we don't know if some things become questionable. And then we have the Joseph Smith translation, which gives us additional revelation of, oh, it corrects something and oh, now it makes a little bit more sense. Sometimes some things feel like they're counter the gospel uh, or the principles of the gospel. Sometimes we skip chapters in lesson manuals and we could feel like why were chapters skipped why weren't these included why doesn't somebody explain something and for me to make all of these things make sense i always come back to this scripture there's a time to kill and a time to heal those are complete opposites and the lord is teaching us there's a time and a season for everything and sometimes the experiences we get in our lives come through these various times sometimes there's a time for us to be in trials there's a time for us to be delivered from trials or to skip trials or to have betrayal or to have love and to have compassion, to have revenge. Like it's not all one thing is the right thing always. What is the right thing are the principles of the gospel. And if we look at the principles of the gospel through through holistically through all the scriptures, we can see that it's very consistent. If we zoom into a specific situation and then compare it to a different situation, sometimes it can feel very inconsistent, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, that's what I like to think about 
when I'm looking at the Old Testament and these Psalms, there are some that don't make any sense. It's like, why was this here? There are others that the majority of Psalms, a lot of them were used as inspiration for our modern day hymns. And then you have a lot of them written by David. He was just like, sometimes he felt like he was lamenting and trying to repent or offering you know, his his heart to the Lord. And then other times it was rejoiceful. It was felt more like a testimony, like, hey, trust in the Lord. He's going to come through every time. You're a sure foundation. Your 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 words are like a guard tower. You know, you know, things like that where there's almost no other way to explain what you're trying to feel except in these kind of romantic allegorical, you know, songs. Right? So that that's why I want to start out with, because I. Once I once I started thinking about that way, I started finding some really interesting um, sections of the Psalms that we're reading. Yeah, I, I don't know. Studying Psalms has always been difficult for me because there is kind of an ethereal quality to them. They are they're more art. I'm more of a Proverbs guy myself than a Psalms guy. The Proverbs, you know, these little short things that that make sense. Two lines that very clearly have a point right and in psalms you kind of have to look a little bit harder to find it and maybe that's intentional i think that in some ways that 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 invites you to study deeper there's a quote by ravel in the ravel bible dictionary that says martin luther called it a work through which we are shown the heart of all the saints it is perhaps best understood as a celebration of and guide to an intimate relationship with god as such the psalms is one of the most significant most personal and most rewarding of the books of the bible no book of the old testament is more christian in its inner sense or more fully attested as much by the use made of it than the psalms of the 283 direct quotes from the old testament cited in the new testament 116 were taken from psalms such love of the psalms by the early christians came because of the insights into the nature goodness mercy and mission of the lord which are revealed in many of these inspired poems and when you look at it that way right that this is less of just like, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they traveled this far in this many days, and then they made camp and had food. That this one is like, here's what they were feeling. This is what they were thinking. When they were liberated from the Philistines for the 115th time, this is what they this is what they felt, right? This kind of love for God and mercy that he constantly gives us. And so it's more of like, this is what the people are, this is their, their emotions about God and about uh, his relationship with them, then it takes on a little bit different meaning, right? Yeah, it's kind of like journal entries of yeah. people, you know, in their personal experiences. Uh, there's one in particular, like on Psalms 50, when we get there, um, I, that it, it kind of blew me away because I've totally never read it before or missed it. Um, it was in verse 10 through 15, where the Lord, he's saying, for every beast of mine, beast of the forest is mine and cattle upon a thousand hills and i was thinking to myself imagine these people they have a culture and a religious a heritage of offering sacrifices and then he says and the lord's already saying well you're sacrificing to me it's already mine and he's in 11 he says and i know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine if i if i were hungry i would not tell thee for the world is mine and the fullness thereof will i eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats offer unto god thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high 
and call upon me in the day of that trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt be glorified. And this is one of those examples where the Lord was, what we read in the Book of Mormon, what we read in other scriptures, that the law of Moses was to guide their hearts to Christ, you know? And he's very much calling out the mechanics here of like, do you think I'm hungry? Do you think I'm eating this blood or, or these animals? They're already mine. What is the purpose of this? And he's saying, and when it's when you read this, the whole psalm, you can see, you can get a lot of that sentiment of what did the Lord actually mean for his people to understand with these sacrificial rites and sacrifices? Because a, a lot of times, like, we read about them and they seem very mechanical and there's a lot of rules and you can go into like uh, Deuteronomy and, 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 and so forth. And it spells out, you should have this and there should be a cubit here and, and a knife and wash your hands twice and blah, blah, blah. And, and it can seem like very ritualistic. But then you read something like this and you get a sense that it wasn't just about the ritual. He's trying to get us something like offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of thy trouble. So he's, I don't know, it, it, I really like this scripture, because <laughs> it really speaks to a living Christ, like a living gospel, like these were living ordinances that were made to help them have that thankful heart, and have make vows with God, and, and remember him in his trouble, and that it was not about killing things. And so often we get caught up in the whole, back then they just would kill stuff and they were happy and it's like no it was probably supposed to be painful maybe even uncomfortable maybe even just like we kill this innocent animal it should remind us of the innocence of the savior i i like that one quite a bit that psalm 50. yeah i think the the very next one uh in psalm 51 this is when david is pleading for forgiveness um after he goes to bathsheba and I think that the reason why Psalm speaks to people so much is that, like I said, it's more of an emotional connection to God. And it's more of like what someone might be feeling in their anguish of realizing that they've committed a, a serious sin. And in this one, it's not necessarily a happy Psalm, right? He's he's begging for forgiveness and asking for mercy. And uh, in verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Here he's testifying in his way of the atonement and of repentance and saying, you know, please help me be like that again. And um, there's a quote by Smith in the Matthew Cowley Man of Faith that says, There is no such thing as a spotted cream-colored repenter. There is no black mark that emerges from the water of baptism, no stain that survives the rigors of repentance. The repentant soul becomes as white as the driven snow. For such a saint, it is though the act were never committed, that is the miracle of repentance. As Elder Matthew Cowley said, I believe that when we repent, there is some erasing going on up there so that when we get there, we'll be judged as we are for what we are and maybe for not for what we have been. He also commented, that's what I like about it, the erasing. And, you know, we can talk about, well, but you don't forget that you did the wrong thing. And, you know, people who you may have harmed certainly don't don't automatically just forget it ever happened. Like that's still there. But the idea of, of, of a repentance and of the atonement is that while you may have done it and that will never go away, the the culpability, you've you've shown remorse, you've shown penitence for it, and you've done your part to make it good again. And you know, David asking for this, begging for it, 
And then in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Help me be a better person, right? Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. How many of us have felt that? How many of us have felt like, I know I'm not doing the right thing. That was a that was not a smart thing to do. Please don't let me fall away. Yeah. Understand that I just made a mistake and I want to come back. You know, and I want to be better. And to hear it from David, who's, you know, the golden child for so long. He was uh, chosen to be the prophet and king. And then after a while, he had this pretty, pretty big slip up, right? And just to hear him say what every human being on earth has ever felt, like, don't let me fall away. Let me still be a part of this. I think that 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 helps us understand that, first of all, no one is immune to temptation and no one is immune to sin. But also, we all have those same sentiments of we want to be a part of our Heavenly Father again. And when you start to see people that way, you start to see us all as encouraging strugglers, right? We're all trying to be better than what we are by nature. We're all trying to be as much like our Savior as possible. And I really like that part. Well, continuing on that 16, 17, 18, 19, really good as well. Because he's kind of saying, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, and so on and so forth. But um, kind of the same, you're hitting the same message that the Lord isn't interested in the mechanics of the religion. He's interested in what we truly feel inside. Um, and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I mean, that was something that we, you know, we read in the Book of Mormon. We're like, whoa, this is this is new. And no, this this has been there all along. It, it was meant forever that Christ has been teaching us that the real offering that we give is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Now, sometimes that offering looks like, hey, we're going to go serve our neighbor. Hey, we're going to go help with fast offerings. Oh, hey, we're going to do this. But as we do those things, we have that broken heart and contrite spirit. Because, as you know, it's funny, a couple uh, in verse 13, in verse 12, where, you know, David is lamenting and he's saying, Restore unto me the joy of that salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. There's something about the sentiment that once we taste like Lehi, taste of the goodness of the fruit, the tree, we cast our eyes to want others to partake, you know, and it's something that, um, you know, that I don't know. I, I just I connect those things in these psalms that I think are pretty, pretty neat. Another part that I like is in Psalm 56. Um, David is is. Once again, speaking to the Lord, he says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for God, for man would swallow me up. He fighteth, he fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I will have, my, have put my trust. 
I will not fear what flesh can do to me. And I, I think about that, like, look out at the situation in the world right now, and there's a lot of amazing good things that are happening. And there's also a lot of things that are testing us and challenging us in, in many ways. And I think that someone in a situation where they're feeling like their enemies are oppressing them, you know, like David does here, and feels like if I am on my own, I'm going to be swallowed up. Um, for him to be able to say, I'm going to reach out and reaffirm my commitment to the Lord and say, I know that you're here. I know that you're with me and that I'm not alone. And when I feel overwhelmed, I'm going to turn even more to thee. I think that gives us a really good example of how we ought to feel and ought to react when we feel like the world is becoming too much. He offers us that, you know, give me your yoke. Let me carry it. And yet a lot of times I think we feel very downtrodden by some of the wickedness in the world and we're like how do we overcome this and how do we deal with this and you know even people saying i i don't want to have children because i don't want to bring them into a world that's like this you know and it's like that's that's not how we should be thinking we should be thinking that's the world right when we talk about being in the world but not of the world right you're you're there doesn't mean you have to be an active participant in the wickedness you can exist in the world without actively participating in all of that and the way you do it is by saying i'm going to do what the lord would have me do i'm going to follow the commandments regardless of what else is happening around me and try to be a positive influence of others but regardless of what happens to the rest of the world around me i'm not going to just give in i'm not just going to be like well it's a lost cause now i like um in psalm 66 uh towards the end verses 18 19 and 20 where it says if if i regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me. For verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. I thought it was interesting that if I have iniquity, he's saying if I have bad desires, like kind of please don't hear them. Like it's, you know, and then that brought me all the way back to Alma chapter 41, where verse 5 and 6, where... I think this is uh, Helaman speaking to his sons. He's saying, and in this he's talking about restoration. It's, uh, chapter 40. Um, and he's saying, the one race to happiness according to the desires of happiness, or good according to the desires of good, and the other to evil according to his desires of evil. For he had desired to do evil all the day long. Even so shall he have his reward of evil when the night cometh. And it's kind of that sentiment that God is going to give us according to our desires, meaning we have agency. Uh, he's not going to force us. Um, but I don't know, as when I read that section, those, those Psalms, I thought it was interesting because it's still something that they, they're very similar to us, that they, they're wanting to say, help me if I have a bad desire in my heart. Help me to don't don't pay attention to that don't hear that <laughs> um there's definitely some some things that we relate there are things that i've noticed that i've prayed for that later on i realize man i prayed for the wrong thing <laughs> <laughs> or i wasn't seeing things correctly or completely you know and i'm glad the lord granted understood the better way for me to go yeah, I, I think that's one of the most interesting things about the Psalms, especially from the perspective of David. I mean, he lived 
like 3,000 years ago or something. And yet there's a universality to the human condition that you see in these psalms. The same types of things that he thinks and says and prays for are the same types of things that I have thought and said and prayed for. And reading them, you start to feel like you're not alone in the struggle. And you're not alone in also the glory of feeling uh, what God has done for you. You know, when, when those psalms that are, are praise and, and they're glorifying and thanking God, it's almost like it, it feels right. It, feel, it connects with you because you have also felt that sometimes, that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I can't do anything but say I am incredibly grateful for this blessing. There's no other words I have other than he's written them for me almost. Yeah, along, along those lines, we can see that we, we judge Israel fairly hard. <laughs> in Sunday school lessons and and other lessons that we have, because it's always the story of of the people that forgot, the people that, regardless of all these miracles, they always turned away, and we kind of feel like, oh, here we go again. Come on, guys, can't you get it? And it's not their story; it's our story. We have these things because that's us. We turn away, we forget, and if we're honest with ourselves. We would see that almost everything Israel is being plagued by is things that we do ourselves. We're no better than them. That's why they're the example that's preserved through scriptures for us. And when you read these Psalms, you can see the sentiment and, even, and sometimes even the joy, like, oh, how glorious. Like the, the I think it was Psalm 62, verse 6 and 7, where uh, 5, 6 and 7, where it says, My soul wait thou Wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is for him. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation, my glory. There are times when we feel that. Yeah. We're sitting in conference or we're sitting at a blessing or we're having a, a scripture study. And you're like, I'm not going to be moved. I love the Lord. Like, he's so good. And then a couple of weeks later go by and we're back to the same shenanigans we've been doing, you know, and it's like, what is the lesson? What is what do we take? Well, for me, one thing is to understand that God loves us tremendously because he's out. He's watching all of this and he knows us. Um, and yet his hand, like in Isaiah, his hand still stretched out for still, you know, he, he's still waiting on us. Regardless of how many times we 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 have these great emotions and then we just turn. So so our job is to remember, you know, like President Hinckley always talked about. And then um, let me tie that to Psalm 69, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, where he says, Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee. O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded by my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. And this is David speaking here. And he's kind of saying, God, you know, even he starts up front a little bit before where he says, um, <laughs> they that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's kind of fell from grace from the people and those around him, and you know, and he also knows, but most importantly, that his foolishness and his sins are not hid from the Lord. 
but he's saying, let not them that wait on thee, or let not those that be turned from thee because of me. You know, he. I think he's starting to realize the impact of his wrongs, you know. And it's similar, like, when you see that as a parent and you realize, oh, if I would have done this, would my children not have been affected? Or if I would have been a better member? Or if I, would you? And it's almost that cry where you're like, I know I've screwed up, but let them have an opportunity and a chance. Yeah. And and it's, but but the beautiful thing is, is like, with the Savior, you can heal yourself. And also, they can also receive strength. You know, he's not going to let anyone with with agency and and people can overcome terrible situations you know um anyway i i thought that was kind of interesting yeah psalm and i know this is jumping ahead but uh psalm 119 um it's interesting because it's about the scriptures uh especially let's see uh starting in verse 97, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are never, they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for my tes- thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I kept thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgment, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Um, Just kind of talking about the meaning of of the scriptures in their lives. And back then, obviously, uh, scripture wasn't just something that you read. It was your entire way of life, right? It was the the rules that dictated how everything was to be done. this resonates with me because the times when I have diligently studied the scriptures, I felt a marked difference from the times when I've been negligent. Um, that I can totally feel the difference in my life, in my thoughts, in my connection to the spirit. Um, and so when it's, you know, it says like, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. You know, you, when you have that feeding into your mind, it's there and it's easy to recall. And when you don't, it's not. And I think that I, I personally have been able to feel uh, the difference when I've done that and when I haven't. So I, I think while Psalms is definitely more an emotional book, I think that what it does, how it connects with people most is, like we've said, that, that universal humanness of it. That we can all identify with a lot of what's being said there because we've all experienced at least to some degree, maybe not to the full extent that David did, but to some degree we've all felt what he was writing in there. And some of the other Psalms as well, the ones that he didn't necessarily write, we we can identify with the thoughts, the feelings that are in, that are there, because they're things that people have felt since the beginning and that will feel forever. Yeah. These moments of total gratitude and these moments of total remorse, you know, um, and, and redemption. And that, you know, that brings me back to the beginning, you know, where where there's a season for everything. And our lives are like that. There's a season where we're mourning. There's a season where we're, we have that realization that, oh, man, I screwed up or I'm not on the right path. You know, there's a season 
there, there's a time to get on the right path. There's a time to, to, to the, all the fear, remorse, anxiety, depression that we can feel now. There's also a time that the Lord has said that that will not be the case anymore. You know, and sometimes we can feel trapped. And that's why I find so much comfort in that scripture because we are, we, as we study the gospel, we're all in different locations and our understanding and even sometimes our understanding is limited based on just the experiences we've had we have not gained that experience to know the right question to ask or the or even we don't know what we don't know you know and the scriptures it's trust in the lord and we've seen through individuals lives that his promises are sure that it comes he delivers his people and there are many ways. And that's why we have the miracles. It's just as an example of the very different ways that there is no limit to how the Lord can fix, can help, can can correct, and, and can teach us. There There is no way. We are often the ones that place the boundaries on him, you know, by thinking, oh, this is how it happened to my neighbor. This is how it must happen to me. And it's not happening the same way, or this is how it happened to my family members, this is how me or my friend and me. And and so therefore I'm waiting for this style of event to occur, answer to my prayers. And because I'm I don't see that there is another way that the Lord is 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 bringing forth a different and, and that's for me all of this implores us and asks us to be open minded. And to trust in the Lord and that his ways are higher than our ways, as the scripture says. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And 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 so, so yeah. Well, I, I think that actually, I wanted to, to backtrack to Job. And I think that actually plays in perfectly to the story of Job. Because, um, you know, it's often categorized as wisdom literature. Where did these things actually happen the way that it says that they happened? Maybe, maybe not, right? Is this a literal thing that happened? Did he really lose this many sheep and get this many back and whatever? Maybe, maybe not. But the point is the story behind it. And the point is, one of the things that stands out the most to me about this story is um, from the Bible Dictionary. It says, the book of Job does not entirely answer the question as to why Job or any human might suffer pain and the loss of his goods. It does make clear that affliction is not necessarily evidence that one has sinned. The book suggests affliction, if not for punishment, may be for experience, discipline, and instruction. There's even a point in his in the story when his friends come to him and they're like, well, you know, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. In fact, you must have done a lot of things wrong because, holy cow, your life is completely destroyed. And why would that just happen? Why would why would the Lord allow that to happen to someone who's supposedly so good? Right. And logically, yeah, that makes sense. We're told, you know, keep the commandments and you shall prosper in the land. If you don't keep my commandments, you have no promise. OK, so. If I do the right things, I should be blessed. Nothing, sh nothing should ever afflict me. Right. This this story tells you that affliction is not just as a punishment of something you've done wrong. Sometimes it's refining fire. Sometimes it's to build you up and to, to test you and to see, do you have the, the wherewithal within yourself 
to continue to rely on the Lord. Did Job never complain? No, he absolutely complained. There were times when he was like, oh my gosh, this cannot get any worse. Like, make it stop. He complained. That's not, it's not that you have to just bear these afflictions and, and just, you know, enjoy every second of it. No, he was miserable. What he didn't do was ever turn on the Lord and say, you know what? I'm never going to, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. You know? forget this. This is, this is a lie and I'm done with it. And to heck with all of you. Instead, he was just like, I don't know why this is happening and please Lord, take it away. But nevertheless, here I am and I'm still going to do what you ask me to do and, and do what I can to make it better. Yeah. I, I, I'm a believer that Job is allegorical type of story. But on the other hand, if, if Job was a real person, all these things happened. The Lord knew him. <laughs> you know, he knew him where it would all be okay. You know, it wouldn't be more than he can bear. Although for us, I can already tell you that would be way more than I can bear. <laughs> well, um, and that's the thing is we're promised that he'll never give us more than we can handle, right? Right. And clearly, like you said, he must have known Job. He tells him that I knew you, right? Um, but he must have known him so well that he knew this isn't going to shake him. It's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge him. He may not like it. He may express a lot of displeasure about boils and his whole family dying and, you know, everything going away. But he's, that's not going to break him. He's going to come back. So when you think of that, I mean, it was used as an example of Joseph Smith when Joseph Smith was like in the depths of despair and the Lord spoke to him and said, you are not yet as unto Job. You know, you're not like Job yet. And he's basically telling him, not only can you handle this, but you can handle more than this. Well, yeah. And along those lines, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 122, verse 7, uh, the Lord speaking to Joseph, and he says, If thou shalt be cast into a pit and into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death pass upon thee, if thou shalt be cast in the deep, if the billows, if the billowing surge conspired against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, and all the elements combine and hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth after me, that know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. I mean, that should be added to the end of Job, because <laughs> that's literally what happens. And so in this story where, you know, Satan's walking along and goes up to God and says, hey, I bet your guys can't be honest. And, uh, you know, and he says, OK, go ahead, do what you will, and we'll see if it's true. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know how that all plays out. I think for me, the story is if we trust on the Lord, whatever happens, it will work out, you know. Even though everything that happens to us, everything that happens to Job and everything that this Doctrine and Covenant scripture says, in our world, if it were happening to us, our society and our world would say, you've done something wrong, you have bad luck, um, you know, all the things that were said to Job, you, you must have sinned, are you sure, you know, uh, you know, all those things. And God is telling us that's not the case. You know, don't look at it that way. And that's hard because we live in a time where we have a lot of anxiety and we have a lot of 
sadness and, and depression and things like that, even amongst our members, even amongst ourselves, even us. And we could easily say if if I would have done some better, if I would have done this, if if I wasn't such a loser or, you know, whatever, then I could be happy like them or I could, you know, and it's another scenario where who are we listening to? You know, uh, are we waiting upon the Lord? And if we do so, his promises are sure. You know, we we have to be careful that we're using his dictionary and his currency and not the world's dictionary and currency that will say, you know, A equals B. And if you're at C, that means you suck. You know, where the Lord is saying, if even in the in Jacob 5, where he's saying, counsel me not, I know where I planted the tree. And it wasn't not good ground. I knew all along. And it bore the best fruit, you know. And I think our God is a God that likes to prove our human, natural man, lackadaisical, philosophical mentality wrong continuously. <laughs> that that will say, hey, if you know, if I'm feeling sad, it's because I sin. No, it's not. Sometimes it could be just the cares, and and you know, that's that's one of the things that I had a a hard time. I have a hard time with my dog because I love him so much, but I know he's gonna die before me. <laughs> And it makes me really sad, you know, where with my kids, I can kind of be like, I'm okay. I know I'll most likely go first. And they have, <laughs> they're the ones after. But sometimes it's like I see people in the world that they they don't want to ask the questions about families being together forever. They want to adopt certain philosophies that make the pain okay, mm. that there's going to be a loss, that I'm that because I don't know where to turn. And so I'm going to shore up my walls and create all these defenses and, and, and make and adopt certain ways of thinking where either I isolate myself because I don't want to feel because I don't want to lose because I don't want to love and not have it be and have it be in vain, Right. And I view a lot of individuals that turn from God more sit on that side of the fence than the realize that this whole story comes full circle, that no one is lost that all things are numbered unto God. You know, unto us they're not, but unto him everything is accounted for, you know. Well, and even going back to what you were saying about Psalms, that it talks about different seasons and times. You know, Job had a season of prosperity, of blessings, and then a season where all of that went away. And then, once again, a new season of prosperity again. And I think when we look at our lives and we say, there have been times when I've been successful when I felt like I got my crap together finally and I feel like I'm 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 on the right track and then something kind of derails it and you start to feel like oh no what's happening and you may even kind of lose your path a little bit right but then there's always it's not the end there's always ways to come back and and have the idea that this is just a season this is just a time that I have to endure and I have to do it well I have to remember the Lord and remember to say okay I don't like this. I don't have to like it, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to throw everything away just because things go bad. And 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 likewise, sometimes it's okay to be sad. You know? Yeah. It's it's acceptable. Things have happened and they are sad things. And sometimes we add upon the anxiety of our sadness by thinking that we're not supposed to feel these things. And the Lord has told us you're in an experience where there's seasons 
and it's important for us to feel these things, you know. Um, and we don't know all, we don't have all the answers, you know, and and it, sometimes we it's okay to, to admit we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we like to pretend that they're, you know, and try to fit all of the experiences through the same square peg hole. And it's like, sometimes we need to let go. And, and part of that is the faith that we don't know everything. We don't know how it all plays out with this situation and that situation and this person and their choices. And, and we had this covenant and it seems to be broken and, you know, whatever. But just like Job, you're in a situation where God has given us an example of every possible thing that could go wrong to someone who did not deserve it. And sometimes, you know, we, we, I'm a big believer that when we hurt, we can always learn to love people through our experience. When it's happened to us, when someone's wronged us, we can at least know that I know I don't want to wrong someone else, you know, because I don't want them to feel this way. Or, you know, someone betrayed my trust. I know, so I'm going to I'm gonna trust better so someone doesn't ever feel what I felt, you know. Yeah. It's, there's always a, an opportunity to learn in these things. And, and it's hard and it doesn't happen overnight. And, and sometimes we're miserable and upset and, and we just have to keep going, do the best we can and, and be honest about it. I mean, we're not... We're not tricking the Lord. He just gave us a bunch of scriptures and psalms that talks about our hearts, that he knows them, and the, that the sacrifice isn't enough. The blood of the lamb isn't enough, and, and, the, and the sheep getting, you know, sacrifice. He's not, it's not because he's hungry. It's not because he needs it. They all belong to him, and, and he just wants us to understand that, you know, we have to bring a contrite heart, uh, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, right? Become an engaged learner. Immerse yourself in the scriptures to understand better Christ's mission and ministry. Know the doctrine of Christ so that you understand its power for your life. Internalize the truth that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you. Every time you plug in your phone, use it as a reminder to ask yourself, if you have plugged into the most important source of spiritual power, prayer and scripture study, which will charge you with inspiration through the Holy Ghost, it will help you know the mind and will of the Lord to make the small but important daily choices that determine your direction. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.